following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know what I love? I love unique expressions of God's gift in people, unique slices where God gets the glory like that. And I don't know about you, but that inspires me. Does that inspire you? I mean, honestly, how many of you guys were like popping in your chair a little bit? Honestly, how many of you guys were getting your groove on a little bit? Why? Because it inspires you. We have a habit of uh, looking up. The, when we get inspired, we want to copy. We want to emulate that. And I want to be vulnerable for a minute because I was inspired. And I'm, I'm thinking of emulating a little something right here. Can you bear with me for a second? Eddie, can you give me a beat? Check it out. You all passed the bees in the house, kicking rhymes for the most high living God. A time is coming and now has come for all to rise and to hear the sun. It's a call to you all that you might give your praise to the Father. It's due to him. So all God's people, come and put your praise on. Oh, yeah. Come and put your praise on in the truth, in the most Holy Spirit. Now, come on. Come and put your praise on. Yeah. Sing this with me, okay? Sing us. Okay, ready? Sing. Thine is the kingdom. For thine is the power. Come on. For thine is the glory. Now forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Now forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. He deserves one. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry I got carried away, but that inspires me. It inspires me. When there's unique displays that resonate with our heart, we get inspired. Uh, To see that, you have to look no further than children. You look at children, children are inspired. Uh, My daughter came out the other day, she's three years old, and she was carrying mama's handbag, which is about five or seven pounds, and she only weighs 15, so she's walking like this. And she says, look, daddy, I look just like mommy. And I said, you do, sweetheart. You look just like mommy. See, when we're inspired, we want to imitate. It compels us to imitate. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. If you like the way God's doing through me, follow me, he would say. Little boys, the same thing. Little boys, they're looking up to all these superheroes. How many of you guys have little boys? You know about this. They're talking all day long about what superheroes got more power. They are copying. They are emulating. They are imitating the superheroes. I think that's what we do in our life. We tend to imitate those we look up to. But this morning, I believe God wants to say to us, he wants to say, would you imitate me? Would you imitate me? And we're talking about being imitators, imitators of God. And when you think about being an imitator of God, the concept, it's in the scripture, we're going to be looking in Ephesians 5 today, it says, be imitators of God. And when I first read that, I'm like, how can I, little old me, be an imitator of God Almighty? It's a valid question, isn't it? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He speaks life. He breathes life. He puts the stars in their orbits and put them all out there. He controls. He's a sovereign, all power. All. How can I imitate God. And I think the answer the father would have is say, imitate my son. Because when you imitate my son, 
you are imitating me, God would say. In fact, uh, Jesus says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father because I and the Father are one. That's beautiful, isn't it? If we try to understand who God is or how we imitate him, he's like, look at my son. This is my son who I love. In him, I am well pleased. Imitate him. Be an imitator of God. Uh, Colossians says that Jesus is the exact, exact representation of the invisible God. That is amazing. The exact representation. Not a replica version of The exact representation of the invisible God. That's great. And Jesus said, as you have seen me do, you do also. Basically, Jesus said, will you be an imitator of me? Will you replicate and do what I do? Will you be an imitator of God? That's the question that God has for us this morning. Will you be an imitator of God? Are you willing to be an imitator of God? He said, go ye therefore, represent me in every sector of life. Find your slice. Represent me. I love it. Bible calls us ambassadors, literally representatives of God, that we get to represent him and literally imitate God and follow him in a, in a glorious display in our home, neighborhood, family, workplace, wherever he has you. Uniquely, God's not looking for cookie cutter Christians. He doesn't want to change your personality. He does want to complete your personality because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And he wants to do things in our lives that we would be imitators, not the same as the person next to us, but a glorious display for all around us. He wants us to be imitators of God. And so if you have your Bible, if you can open up to Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna pick up where we left off um, last week in verse six. But I do wanna mention what verse one of chapter five says. It says, be imitators of God. If you have a Bible, you might wanna underline that. Be imitators of God. And that's our message today. Our first point, if you are a note taker on how to be an imitator of God and what this even looks like, the first one, uh, if you wanna follow and track with this, is, is to imitate the Son. Imitate the Son. Again, when you think of the Father, God Almighty, you think, how can I imitate God? He's the creator. And he's like, look, it's not as uh, abstract as that. Jesus came and walked in the flesh and he walked with his feet on the same ground that we're walking on. The same sun rose and set and the same moon appeared and went down. He had 24-hour days like we did. He had to get up and deal with things, life, people, work, everything. He had to deal with governments, the Roman Empire. He had to deal with the religious infrastructure. He dealt with everything that we do. And God would say, imitate the sun. If you want to be an imitator of God, imitate the sun. Um, It moves on in verse six. This is where we left off. And it says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things, God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, this is interesting. It's talking about imitating God and being careful what other things we do imitate. Because we might not intentionally think we're imitating, but we do look up to things. We look up to people. We look up to things. And sometimes, before you know it, we start modeling them and imitating without even making a conscious choice. And the Bible's telling us and Paul's telling the church, be careful who you imitate. Beware of counterfeits. Could you imagine, as an illustration, if you were to save up your whole life with this great plan that someday, someday when you retire or whatever, you are going to travel the world, you and your wife, your family, whatever, you know, you got this great plan, you're going to save up and someday you're going to travel everywhere and do all these things. And so you go through your whole life through this process And finally, when it's time, you take out all you have saved up 
and you discover that it's all counterfeit. Oh no, you spent your whole life. Everything was aimed at this, but it's not real. It's counterfeit. I say that because I think people do that in life, not so much with money, but with their aim, with their agenda, with their goals, with their mission, with their philosophy in life, with their calling. Why God? They, they don't have that. They're aiming at things, and many on the back end end up saying, oh, no, I think I missed it. Paul is saying, listen, don't let anyone deceive you with, with empty words, empty words. Uh, the world offers many empty promises, promises that the world cannot fulfill. The world was never designed to fulfill the deeper issues of the human soul. Only God can do that. So we have to be careful where we get our counsel from. Please think about this morning. I don't know where you get your counsel from, but be careful where you get your counsel from. We can't say, hey, well, Dr. Phil said, right? Or, well, Oprah said, but what did God Almighty say? Because there's all kinds of counsel floating around everywhere. And a lot of times we pick and choose like a smorgasbord. Well, they said this and they said that. And all of us, and Paul's like, uh, uh, uh. if you want that aim, if you want to be an imitator of God, if you don't want counterfeits, be careful where you get your, your counsel from. And he is talking about in this passage here, he's like, there are people, if you want to be an imitator of God, there's others around us who are not imitators of God. And We don't even intend to, but we pick up a little bit here and a little bit there, and we have it all mixed up into our little uh, bag of tricks, so to speak, and this is how we function in life with these things. And, And Paul is trying to say what ends up happening is we end up making these partnerships in life, these alliances in life, and they're not good for you, and they're not good for me, and they're not good for our future. The second point this morning is to avoid unholy alliances. Paul is saying right here, when people don't have the same counsel you do, don't be partners with them. This is the scripture, this is the word of God. God knows this better than anybody. Don't be partners with them. It doesn't mean you don't have a friend, you sit down and watch a football game, or you invite a friend over for dinner, and you know, they're way out there in left field, but that's okay, you love them, and you're trying to share faith with them. You love them enough, you care. That's not saying that. This is talking about partnerships. Partnerships. In the eyes of God, partnerships are alliances. And God says, I love you so much that if you partner with somebody who's not getting counsel from me, that's going to be a tough road to navigate. It won't go well. You're supposed to be equally yoked, aiming at the same things, different personalities, but with Jesus in the middle, aiming at the same things. That's great. But when we're not, you got people pulling different ways for different aims for different reasons. Avoid unholy alliances. And that's for marriage, business partnerships, creative partnerships, anything like that. The the word is saying avoid unholy alliances. I'm saying that because there's some of you this morning who might have a little issue going on here where you're in uh, a business partnership or about to get into a creative thing or whatever it might be. And it's not an equally yoked kind of thing. You have different things driving you. You have a different aim. You have a different view of what success looks like. And you have a different view of integrity and what it takes to get there. And guess what? Your partner doesn't. Your partner's not so concerned. They might be a nice person. But they don't have the same counsel of God. And as a result, the Bible's saying, Mm-mm-mm, be careful you don't get hijacked with counterfeits. Second Corinthians says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. We use that in the context of marriage. 
Scripturally, it was used for business relationships as well. This doesn't mean, again, love all your neighbors and hang out with people and reach them and share faith. Yes, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, don't be available for loving and spending time with people who know nothing about God. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is when you're about to have an alliance with somebody, a partnership and a team, and you're about to build together, uh, the, the minor prophet Amos says, how can two walk together down the road unless they are in agreement? In other words, you have integrity and biblical issues driving you and they don't. You might think you can walk down the road in a business or a creative thing. It's only a matter of time. There will be diversions on that path and you're going to want to go one way because of the core values and, and things and they're not. And it's not about trying to convince them later on. I've talked to people that were 10 years into a business thing and came up with monumental differences and problems. Many problems along the way. But this is why the word is saying to basically avoid unholy alliances. Um, it moves on to verse 8 and it says this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Um, this is saying how the reality is all of us were, if outside of Christ, who is the light of the world, we were all living in darkness and we all were called from darkness into the light. That's the biblical overview of how it works. Even if people have a different view, God says that he is the light. Jesus is like, I am the true light that came into the world. There are counterfeits out there. Jesus is the true light. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But when you come to recognize Jesus for who he is, when he says, turn and follow me, we go from darkness into light. And this passage is talking about as people of light, we bear a different kind of fruit. Not on our own, but God through us. We talked about that last week. Fruit of God's life through us. We don't, we're not better than anybody. It's simply we, we agree to partner with God and God as a result will bear fruit through us. Other people, maybe well-intended, are not in the true light and simply can't bear that kind of fruit. And this is what this is talking about. First uh, Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. As an imitator of God, we are called out of darkness into this light. And it says something really cool right here. It says in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. And for some of you, that's your word this morning. Verse 10, you might want to underline that. Personally, personally, we saw a video earlier of somebody who found their slice this is what I was made to do. And they love doing what they made to do. They're, they're on display for the glory of God in a unique way. I think God would like you to know this morning, he wants you to be an imitator of his son, but in a unique way. We're all wonderfully and fearfully made. The display is gonna look differently through each of us. And that is the beauty of it. There's a beautiful matrix of what God's doing, this masterpiece, this, this work of art, this symphony, if you will, of all of his people, all on display in different little ways, still being imitators of God, of Jesus. The passage is saying, find out what pleases him. In your life, you might ask the question, God, what makes you smile in my life? 
what makes you smile? I mean, out of all the different displays that maybe you could do through me, what, what makes you smile the most? If we were to live to the audience of one, what makes God smile? It's a great question to ask, and it's a great pursuit because this is very exciting. When you start walking and pursuing an area of display for the glory of God, being an imitator of God, following Jesus in your unique little slice, it's beautiful. You will be blessed and those around you will be blessed. That's the way God designs this. Um, There was an Olympic runner named Eric Little. Maybe some of you guys know about him, but he was an amazing runner uh, back in, I believe it was around the 20s. But in any event, he, he said that, he goes, I don't know what it is, but I feel like that when I run, He's like, God made me fast. <laughs> and when I run, I, I, I feel God smiling on me. Wow, isn't that great? So he sprints for the glory of God. And God's like, yes, I made you that way. And in his running, he gives God the glory and God smiles down. And there's this unique representation. Find out what pleases the Lord in your life. Find out what pleases the Lord. Um, but the passage goes on to this other um, challenge, if you will. And it says some interesting things. It says when you see something that is the Bible's referring to as the fruits of darkness, something that you know is flat out wrong. Now, this is not just your opinion. This is not your idea. This is not your preference or mine. This is something that the word of God says is wrong. God is like really against it. And you know in the core of your heart because the spirit of God is convicting you that this is wrong. What do you do? What do you do when you see something or know or observe something that is not just off or preferential or stylistic? It is wrong. God would say that is wrong. It breaks my heart. What do you do? What do you do? Because many look the other way and we're more PC about it. We're more politically correct saying, well, whatever. Everybody can do what they want to do. And, you know, I guess I just won't say anything about this. I don't want to rock the boat. That is normally what people do. But I want to encourage you this morning, scripture has a higher calling for you. And this is not holier than now, and this is not better than. This is simply saying, I'm taking God's position on this one. I'm going to go with God on this one. I'm not going to go with style, preference. God says this is way off. This is out of line. I'm not okay with it. And guess what? I'm going to step up and say something about it. I want to encourage you on that because there's something about we forget that we follow Jesus who is the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. And there's something about when something is way off or way wrong saying, you know what, someone's got to say something. And that's not being a bad guy. No one wants to be disruptive, but the word says speak the truth in love. You got to speak the truth in love. So what do you do when you see fruits, deeds of darkness? The word says, quote unquote, this is what it says. This is the command for you and me. It says expose it. It says expose it. Don't go, whatever, that's their deal, and walk away. And I don't mean going around like pointing everybody's stuff out. I don't mean that. But when you're saying something's on your neighborhood, on your block, it's wrong. No one says anything about it. Something in your community, something in your family is wrong. Say something. Something in your friend's life, it's just wrong. I mean, God, what do you do? You love them, you care about them, but do you love them enough to tell them the truth? That's what Paul said to the Galatians. He's like, Am I now your enemy for telling you the truth? Like, I love you, I tell you the truth, now you don't like me, Paul's saying. Um, The word is saying, expose expose it. There's a um, current issue right now that comes to mind. This is interesting because um, it talks about 
what people do in, in darkness and things they come up with uh, is what the passage is saying about. But while you and I were sleeping, um, our, our state assembly is a bill called AB 1266. How many of you don't know about it? How many of you do know about AB 1266? Okay, so basically hardly anybody. Uh, I didn't know about it either. Um, but this is just an example, for, just to give you an insight. AB 1266 is a bill recently enacted into our education code, entire state of California. It's already code. While we were sleeping, this is approved. By the California legislature and signed by the governor, Jerry Brown. The legislation creates the right of elementary and secondary school boys and girls to use opposite sex showers, restrooms, and locker rooms. Let me say that again. While you and I were sleeping, our state legislature and our governor signed into law, it's already law, that boys and girls can use opposite sex restrooms, showers, and bathrooms if they feel they identify with a different gender. So if a boy feels like he identifies with a feminine gender, he's allowed to go and be on the girls' sports teams and dress with them and shower with them. And this is the law. This is what our, I mean, we got bigger problems in in our society. This is what people are up at night crafting bills like this and passing this while we're asleep. Now, is that wrong? How many of you think that's wrong? Okay, I think God would say, preserve the innocence, you know? This is like, let the little ones come to me, hinder them not. Don't start confusing them on gender identity. They're going to work that stuff out. We all have to work things out in our own life, right? But to get little kids at a young age, five and six years old, and say, sure, go do all these things. We are desensitizing a generation. There are some that want to do that with a very extreme intention to the point that they're updrafting legislation while we're sleeping and squeaking it through and it's already stamped and it's already law. Like, I didn't know about that. Somebody started to expose the deeds of darkness. I think that qualifies as a, that's not a preferential thing. Even if your child's not in public school, some might say, well, I'll just take my kid out of school. But, but what if we're wrecking a, gen, what if we're desensitizing a generation? Can't we preserve the innocence and let kids work out gender issues with their parents and as they get older themselves with God and everything else? I mean, we gotta work out our life this way. But for us to just, Say yes, do it. It's approved. Leave them alone. We're wrecking things. And this is what the Bible would say, I believe, is fruitless deeds of darkness. Someone's got the intention here. Someone knows what they're doing. They're like, shh, everyone's looking this way about the economy. Boom, it's through. It's part of the education code. Um, well, there is currently a referendum being signed by people. There may be one here uh, and it's gonna go to vote for the people. And already the people are screaming about this. They're like, What? Are you kidding me? Who approved that? So I say that because when there's fruitless deeds of darkness and we're all sleeping at the wheel sometimes, exposing is a good thing. It's not like, sure, I'll just be quiet and let them do. Exposing is what the word tells us to do. And it moves on in verse 14. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, this is saying be wise and discern the times. In other words, The Bible says that in the end days, and I believe when you look at scripture, global events, prophecy, you can't deny we are nearing the end times clearly. No one knows the day or the hour, but when you look at a systematic view of things that need to occur, 
you know, we're living in a, a later generation for sure. Which one? Nobody knows, but for sure. The Bible says that Israel will not surpass a generation before the end comes. Well, Israel has not been a nation since 70 AD. They were kicked out of Israel, scattered through Europe, only brought back after World War II. Boom, the clock is ticking. How long is that generation? Some people debate that, but the reality is these are some of the things. The Bible says the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. You couldn't have said that 30, 40 years ago. But now there's Bible translations in the rainforest, North Pole, South Pole, rainforest, you name it. Um, you know, we're reaching times for the global and internet where things are global and there's a, you know, an exposure of things. So when you look at some of these events, we're living in end times. And the Bible says in the end times, there's going to be a lot of folks sleeping at the wheel, getting duped. And the Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour who he may so be sober and alert. And the Bible's saying, recognize the times, make the most of the opportunities, recognize the days we're living in. God could have had you in any generation in society. You could have been born in the 1800s, the 1200s, you could have been born when the coolest thing you ever got to see is like a stagecoach coming to town. Like, that was cool, that was the bomb. I got to see a stagecoach come in. He rode off in the sunset, it was so cool. (laughs) But no, no, that's not where you are. You are like the song right here, right now, watching the world wake up in front of me. That's where we are. We're going from sending people in the moon to nuclear physics to, I mean, global information. I mean, this is crazy. And it says in the Bible that in the end, one of the signs of the end is that people will go to and fro rapidly. Talks about crazy transportation, which no one even dreamed of back in the Old Testament. And wisdom and knowledge will vastly increase, meaning there's going to be a knowledge explosion. There are more things being available today through the internet than the last hundred years of, you know, if you look incrementally and exponentially at the, the knowledge that's available and being posted and available, it's going up exponentially. We're living in the times where there's fulfillment of these things. The Bible says, be sober, recognize the times, discern them. And one of the things it says, and I just need to mention this, it talks about getting drunk. I want to talk about this really quick. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. Paul told Timothy, hey, if your stomach hurts, it's okay. Have a little vino for your stomach. You know, you're all stressed out. And that's what he told them. However, there's another camp, and that's getting drunk. That's getting intoxicated, getting buzzed, and really liking it. <laughs> um, the Bible's like, don't do that. Uh, it's calling it, um, it says debauchery. The New American says dissipation. The Bible says, don't get drunk with wine, it's dissipation, which really means it's pollution. It's like you're you're polluting yourself. And when you're polluting yourself, the body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you're polluting yourself, uh, there's a reason they call it wine and spirits. Have you noticed that? So they call wine and spirits. There's a reason for that. In the Old Testament, when the people... uh, they, they did a, a, it was, the term was pharmakia, but when people started to get involved with, um, you know, getting intoxicated, there was always a spiritual element of worship to an unknown world and false gods. They went hand in hand. I believe when people get intoxicated, all their natural guards that God gives them, they're just down. Why? Because the Bible says we're dissipated, we're watered down, we're polluted is the word. But the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, which is really pollution or dissipation. Uh, The message translation says, don't get drunk with wine, it cheapens your life. 
That's what the word says. So, uh, you know, some of you, hey, this is not my issue. You know, I don't really care about that. And others are like, yeah, I kind of really like to get a little buzz once in a while. Um, the word's speaking to you this morning. Uh, and you've already had your last call. And now you're getting your wake-up call. Because the word is saying, wake from the dead. Wake from the dead. Let the light of Christ shine on you. Last call's already been over. And now it's time for the first call. And be sober. And instead, he goes, instead of wanting to get filled with other things. And there's this human need where we try to mask and, and we, we, we use counterfeits. We don't mean to, but we're looking for something to fill things. And, and alcohol might seem to work, or if it's not that, it's something else. There's some form of escape or some band-aid to make us feel better temporarily. It seems to be the human nature. But the Bible's saying, God's saying, look, I got the cure. If you want to be imitators of me, here's the cure. Don't do any of those. They're just going to take away from what, what, what we're trying to do here. Instead... And it's the fourth, uh, the end of that verse in verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Would you guys say that with me? Be filled with the Spirit. One more time. Be filled with the Spirit. This is key, guys, because you can't be an imitator of God unless you are filled with the Spirit. And I want to spend our remaining time talking about being filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our fourth point this morning is to be filled with the Spirit. It is so key because we cannot be imitators of God unless we are filled with the Spirit. There's nothing that you and I have in our life of ourselves that is going to let us imitate God but the Spirit of God in us and through us can put you on a beautiful display to be an imitator of God. It is all by this. So what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? Spirit-filled. It's, it's important. The early church knew how important this was. Jesus knew how important this was. Jesus knew how important it was to the point that the apostles who walked with them for three years, and there was a whole group of 120 in the upper room, said, look, you guys, I know you love me and I know you learn from me, but you don't have the capacity to go and be an imitator of God yet. You don't have the capacity and you won't until you get filled with the Spirit. So I know you love me and I know you believe my words and I know you've learned from me and that is good. But until you get power from on high, until you're filled with the Spirit, you're not able to be the incarnation of what I've created you to be. And the apostles understood this. It's a spiritual experience found in Acts chapter 2 is the first time we see it. It's also referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being immersed in the Holy Spirit, being filled in the Holy Spirit. And the early believers, they got in on this experience and it changed their lives forever and it changed the world forever. And sadly, this is one of the least, least understood principles in Scripture. And it's sad to me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's some that'll say, when you say yes to Jesus, that's the end of story. It's all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get and just, just move on and be quiet and don't talk about it anymore. And yet Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to church, talking to believers who follow Jesus, who already have the Holy Spirit. And he's like, would you guys be filled, please? I know you have. Would you be filled? And in the book of Acts, we see them filled. And guess what? They were filled again. But why were they filled again if they were filled once before? Maybe it's because we're like leaky vessels where when you pour your life out for the glory of God, you need to be filled again. 
And I think that's the intent, and that's God's design, is to be filled again. And there are many times in the New Testament where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not exclusive to Acts chapter 2. We see a sequence of time and people and places where they're like, God, we are ready for the next level. We believe you, we love you, and we know we have salvation. But we want to be an imitator of God. And we know we can't unless we are filled with your spirit. And God says, that's beautiful. If you're willing to be emptied of yourself so you make room for my spirit, I would be honored to fill you with the spirit. This is really, really important. There's many examples. Schofield, who is a conservative, okay? He's not a Pentecostal. He's not a charismatic. Schofield says this. The New Testament distinguishes between having the spirit, which is true of all believers, and being filled with the spirit, which is the believer's privilege and duty. Having, which is true of all believers, and being filled, which is the believer's privilege and duty. I think that's so clear. And by the way, you hear about a guy named Schofield. He's in, he was in the middle of revival and God doing great stuff. If you want to know who was getting this, look at the people that God used right smack in the middle of revival, okay? You can't make that stuff up. That's God doing a powerful thing in a society through people, and that's their view of the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Charles Finney said this, another guy who God used mightily for revival. He would hinge it on this. He said, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit descended on me in a manner that seemed to come in waves of liquid love. Waves of liquid love. And it seemed like the very breath of God. I wept out loud with joy and love. This was an experience. We don't chase experience, but church, when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it is an experience. Amen? We don't chase experience, but when you have an encounter with the Spirit of the living God, it is an experience. And when you read the book of Acts and they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it was a documented experience. And every other subsequent time in the book of Acts where people were filled with it, it was an experience. So we don't chase experience, but you better be open to the experience. Because when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it is experiential. It's a supernatural change that happens. And I would say my experience was much the same. I was at a point, I was a newer believer, and I got to the point saying, God, I am willing to pour my life out that you would fill me up so that I can serve you any way you want. I want to be an imitator, God. I'm a believer right now, but I want to be an imitator. And I know it's going to take this thing, this Baptist filling. And, 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 and I'm open for it, and I want it. And I prepared my heart. And I want to ask some of you right now this morning to prepare your heart for that. If you're in that true, true place of surrender, if you're saying, no, I am, I'm done and I'm willing to be poured out and I want to be filled with the Spirit. If that's your place this morning, our prayer team is going to come up. In fact, if our prayer team could come up now as we close out, we want to pray for you for a filling with the Holy Spirit. Filling, but, but, but I want to qualify the prerequisite. This is not like, hey, yeah, maybe I'll be happier. <laughs> Let me give it a shot. That's not this. Uh, maybe I'll have a little more joy or something. What do I got to lose? No, that's not a qualifier. The qualifier was like the people in the upper room and all the other people we saw and like this guy Schofield and Charles Finney and all these other ones who received it who said, God, I want to be poured out of myself. Would you fill me fresh? Because I want to be that representation of you. I want to model your love, God. I want to live that life that I can't do in my own. Would you give me the power and the capacity? And God would say, yes, I will. It's my intention. It's my heart. It's in the word. He'd say, wait, wait 
for power, way to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My experience was much the same. I was emptied and surrendered. I prepared my heart and God filled me to overflowing. The reality is when the Spirit of God invades your life, you and I, who are limited to natural things, are then able to do some other supernatural things. It's not because of us. It's the life of the Spirit of God in us. That's why Jesus said, greater things will you do and what you saw me do, you do also. Why did he say that? It's not because we can pull it off on our own strength. It's because the Spirit of God is willing to do things through his people. All through Scripture, it says, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, boom, 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 and greater things will you do. Go ye therefore, I'll never leave you or forsake. I'm going to be with you wherever you go till the end of the age. Go, but not in our own strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit. These guys got it. Historically, the people that were in the middle of revival, they got it. And they said, God, I want to be that person. I actually want to represent you. I want to do this, God. I don't want to look back at the end and go, I aimed at a counterfeit and all I have to show for it is counterfeit. I want to be in that place where I look back and go, that was an awesome journey, God. I was right smack in your will and you had divine encounters along the way. Oh, there's ups and there's downs, but you were with me and you showed me some stuff and you did the supernatural, not because of me, in fact, despite of me. Because it's not us, it's the spirit of God. And this is what's important. You cannot... um, You cannot be a model of God without this. So we don't chase the experience, but we need to be open to the experience. And the natural outflow, it says right here, it says in the passage, was praise and thanksgiving. With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Bible's talking about when you're filled with the Spirit, there's something in your heart that's ready to bubble over. There's the evidence of that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thanks and praise overflowing out of a heart that you can't help it. You can't help but to say, God, I love you, you're good. Why? Because you're not making this up in your brain. Your heart is overflowing with what God is doing on the inside. And I will say that was my experience as well. I came to LA as a musician. I pursued clubs in Hollywood and doing this stuff. But when it came to my faith, singing to God, anything of that, very personal, very personal. But the day that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I came home from the west side And I stopped at Lake Balboa on the hill and I grabbed my guitar and I started shouting out, singing praises to God at the top of my lungs until the sun went down. And none of it was conjured up or made up. It was an outflow of what God was doing. And yet I find myself at times poured out going, God, I need to be filled again. Would you fill me again, God? Don't ever think I'm good. I've got all the Holy Spirit I'll ever need. Don't ever think that. Be filled, stay filled, be filled again. So some of you this morning, you've never had that experience in the Holy Spirit. I wanna encourage you, don't chase this as an experience. We do not chase experience, but we do pursue God. And we do pursue what God offers us and presents to us. And Jesus said, it is good that I go because when I go, I'm gonna send you the comforter and he's gonna enable you to do the things that I did. This is Jesus's words. Don't go anywhere until you receive power. And if you're here this morning and you want to be poured out and you want to be filled and that is a genuine cry of your heart, God knows that, then come forward in faith and say, God, I am ready. I want to be filled with your spirit, Lord, and be prayed over this morning. And maybe you were filled once before and boy, you are like, feel like you're running on fumes. You're just running on fumes. God's like, yeah, you need to be filled again. He'll fill you again. The apostles who were filled in the book of Acts, it says they were filled again. Same as the first time. It's like, was there a need for that? Apparently there was. Be filled again. Some of you might need to be filled again. 
But in closing, the question is, are you willing to let the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on your life? If you are, you will be right smack in the middle of God's will and he will use you in profound and glorious ways. You will be a beautiful representation of God's uniqueness through your life, representing him in everything we do, modeling the king, so to speak. This is how we become imitators of God. We can't pull it off on our own. We don't have anything in us that's gonna pull off imitating God, even God's son. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we were made for. So I'm gonna close in prayer today. And I'm also gonna include, you know, some of you might be here today and you're checking out God's kingdom and what this is all about. And uh, some of you here today might say, hey, it's time to surrender my life. I've never accepted Jesus in my life as Lord and Savior. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. But also when you come forward to our prayer team, I want you to say clearly, I wanna accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. We're gonna pray with you. And others saying, I want the filling of the Holy Spirit. I really need the filling of the Holy Spirit. If it's a cry of your heart, come. If you wanna just test drive it and kick the tires, wait for another time. I really wanna encourage you. If you're not ready, then don't. And if you are, please come. And don't miss out on what your tomorrows could be like and what God is willing to do in your life. So mighty God, we, we come before you, Lord, right now in a spirit of thanks and a spirit of praise. I thank you for what you did for us on the cross and I thank you for what you did for us, Lord, when you, when you said, I'm pouring out my spirit so that you can represent me. Lord God, I just wanna pray for us as a family of believers. We're not satisfied with status quo, God. We're not satisfied with just getting by and going week to week and wandering, God. We wanna be children who, are, who know their father's will, who, who have had your will revealed to us and have been given your power and authority to walk in it, God. That's your heart for your people. You said you don't hide these things from us. They, the world doesn't understand it, you said, but you said, I give it to you freely. So Lord, would you be able to do that for us today, God? I pray for those, Lord, who are opening their heart to you, Jesus, to, that are saying in the privacy of their heart, Lord, take away my sins. Come in and give me a fresh start. I wanna turn and follow you. That, Lord, as they come forward, they'd say that in prayer. We would agree in prayer and you would do a new and beautiful thing, God. I thank you for that. And for those who are ready for really what's called a baptism of service, who are ready to stop living for themselves and start living for you, who know they need your spirit and the power of your spirit to actually become that kind of person, I just pray we'd be honest and make that confession before you and we'd say, God, fill me. And through the prayer and agreement and the laying on of hands, just like in scripture, there'd be a beautiful filling. And for those who were filled before and it's been a long time, Lord, there'd be a filling again because we need you, God. We need you more, God. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Come into our lives. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. Come into this church. Come into us. Overflow us, overwhelm us. We're not chasing experience. We are chasing you, God. We want more of you. We want more of what you want for our city, for our family, for our workplace, for our neighborhood. God, come. Do abundantly and immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, God. We're open and we thank you, God. Have your way with us, among us, and through us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.